All right. Let's go ahead and pray real quick before we get started. God, thank you for those words that we just get to sing over and over and over again. It seems, it seems so easy. Just hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. But God, my prayer is that we as a church wouldn't just see those as those words that we sing over and over and over again when we're at church, but those words would mean something. That we would realize who the one is that we're singing praise to. How glorious and how mighty and how beautiful you are. And how amazing the things are that you've done for us. God, you're so good. You're so powerful. You've done so many great things to to draw us together, to make us into your church. And God, I pray that you would continue to draw us closer to you and closer to one another. And that, that during our time this morning that you would just again show us the glory of who you are. And God, just amaze us with your mercy and your grace and cause us to, to lean in to that mercy and that grace, to not, to not be afraid and run and hide when things get tough, but to, but to feel this deep sense of, of love and passion for your church, this body of people that you've drawn us closer and closer to. God, we thank you for who you are, and I pray that you would work through these verses that we're going to read and study this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. So I'm going to make everybody uncomfortable for a minute. So here's what we're going to do. And this is actually, there's actually purpose behind this. I'm not doing it just to be mean. You guys are great. Can everybody who's not sitting in the middle section squeeze into the middle section? Can we like sit close to one another? Hey, hey, Tuck, you're not sitting in the middle section. Come on. Come on. But here's the thing. I want, no, kids on the couch. Come on. We're going to sit together. Now, here's the thing. Here's the real challenge. No gaps. I want you sitting next to people. Squeeze in. Squeeze in. Perfect. Here, watch. There's one more seat there. We got room on the front row. We got room on the front row. Tuck, you waited just long enough that the front row is still open. Thank you. Right here. Squeeze in. Perfect. Awesome. We're friendly. We're feeling comfortable, good. All right. What do you mean, all oh, man? We got we got seats. Squeeze in. Squeeze in. Get close. Everybody's like, I intentionally sit with one seat gap between me and whoever's next to me. Everybody's everybody's sitting a little bit like this. Perfect. Rose, we can slide a chair over so you can actually sit with your husband. Don't worry about that. that our floor is. It's garbage. It doesn't be clean. I promise. Like, leave it. It'll just soak into the rest of the ambiance. It's perfect. Okay. You're like, why is he doing this? One, because last week I felt like we were so scattered that I had to just stare people down as I walked around the stage, and I, I hated it. So I want, like, a group of people that I can just kind of gaze over and not feel like I'm singling people out as I'm talking. So, so this feels good. I'm not preaching in stereo. This is good. Uh, part two of this is because, um, well, I'm not going to spoil part two. We're going to get to part two. Part two comes by the end of the sermon as to why I had us this way. Because 
because I'm looking at a lot of the body language right now and I'm realizing this is good. I'm really, oh, that's even, that's even better. Arms around one another. I thought about doing like a, an old school Southern Baptist fellowship time for just a second and making every, and, and saying that phrase that I hate, like making everybody hug each other's necks. Ugh. It's just love on each other a little bit. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope, not for that. Okay, you can go ahead and turn to Song of Solomon chapter 2. All right. As people are coming in, we'll just keep, just, 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 just make space and squeeze in. We're getting close today. We're all sitting close. Song of Solomon chapter 2. Okay. So last week, we kind of just, we took a while just kind of establishing the scene, setting the stage, where we're going with all of this. We're talking about, you know, how we're looking at the relationship between a king and the love of his life. And they love each other and they want to be together. And they're kind of playfully learning who each other are. And they're kind of in this, like, kind of middle ground dating relationship kind of thing. And they're kind of, they're kind of learning who each other are. But they really love each other and they really want to be together. They really want to share life together. And, and we realized that, that she had some issues. She wasn't super confident, but, but where she wasn't confident in maybe the way she looked or, or the fact that she felt kind of lonely and alone and separated without him, he was there to kind of fill in those gaps and be like, I'm here for you, I love you, I want to be with you. Right? So we, so we saw them kind of, kind of we, saw, we saw the king kind of supporting the areas of weakness in her life where she didn't necessarily feel super confident. He was there to kind of build her up and make her feel loved. And we saw as he was doing that, that she was responding to that by, by confidently saying, I love you, I want to be with you, I want to share life with you. We saw, we saw this change in her persona, we saw this change in the way that she spoke. No longer was she shy and and quiet, but she was confident, even a little bit aggressive. And we're going to kind of see them continue to build that relationship. Uh, I've read like three or four books, kind of getting prepared for this whole series. One of the books that I read um, was a book by Matt Chandler, who kind of went through this and looked at it and compared it to how a relationship plays out through through dating. And then when we get to where we are today, he's kind of into the courtship slash engagement area of a relationship. So we're going to kind of see how they're deepening their relationship as they're preparing to get married, because they're not yet married. We're going to see that scene play out. But, but right now they're kind of still learning who one another are. And as we see, they're going to kind of start addressing the things that couples, and I'm going to apply it to the church as well, um, need to be working through as we grow closer to one another and closer to Jesus for ourselves. So go ahead and look. Song of Solomon chapter 2. I'm going to pick up in verse Eight, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Again, we remember that she's the one who talks the most in the book. So she's continuing to be the one who is speaking here. She says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away with me. O my dove, in the clefts of the rocks, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. 
Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft of the mountains. Whole lot of agricultural metaphors in there that we're going to have to look at and unpack a little bit there. So the first thing that we're going to say is our scene has shifted. Last time we were, we were in his house. We were in the city, right? Because she was talking about how nice the house is that he's preparing for them to move into after they get married, right? She, feel, she feels like she's going to be safe and provided for by him. She's not worried that she's going she's gonna to run out of food to eat or, or be uncared for, right? She's safe in his house. Now, the scene has shifted back to her house, right? She lives out in the country. We heard, we heard this from her last week because she'd been forced to work in the fields where, where her brothers had made her, made her do all this work. Because remember, she talked about how the sun had shone on her. She'd, she'd gotten tan. She'd, 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 she'd been out and having to work, not like somebody who would be a queen, somebody who would be married to a king, but somebody who was, who was humble, who had been, you know, you know, kind of down in the dirt, having to do hard work all of her life. And so we've seen that the scene has kind of shifted out to where she lives. And she's wanting to see him again, right? This is a good thing for us to realize. If, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you don't want to see them, practical advice number what? What are we on? Three, four, something? Three? Yeah, uh, maybe want to see the person that you think you want to be in a relationship with. Like if you're like, they're going to be gone. Meh. Maybe it's time to, you know, slow down a little bit and anticipate Maybe this is something that we should address. But she's, she's really excited. She hasn't necessarily seen her guy in a while, right? He's been gone. She's like, I want to see him, and I hear him coming. I know he's coming to visit, and she's excited. She misses him. She knows he's going to be visiting soon. And when she finally sees him, he's not just like, I'm going over to my girl's house, right? That's not how he's described. It's not like he just kind of shows up. He walks up, knocks on the door. Hey, thought we might... You want to do something? No. What does it say? The voice of my beloved. She's excited. She hears him coming. Behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. Just because I see the word bounding, it reminds me of that old Pixar short, Bound. Does anybody remember the one where it's like the jackalope, right? Which are real, apparently, according to Pixar. And he just looks so happy and excited all the time because he's like just bouncing all over the place and he's happy to go. If you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. You'll get the song stuck in your head. It's, that was one of the better ones that they did. But all this to say, like, think through when you get really excited. I mean, I watched a lot of college football this weekend. Um, and there were, I don't know if you noticed this, there were a lot of teams that weren't supposed to lose that lost this weekend. And when those teams that aren't supposed to win, win, what does their reaction typically look like? They all, they all bounce like, they, they run into a circle and they start jumping up and down like little kids, right? It's just like a natural reaction when you're super excited about something. And our king here is excited to see his bride-to-be. He missed her. And when he comes, it's not just that he comes walking up like, this is going to be cool, I'm going to play this kind of relaxed. No, he's excited to see her. He's like leaping up and down, running to go see her. This is how excited he is. This is how much he wants to be with her. 
And so what does she say? She describes him. Behold, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Uh, in, our, in our language, we would probably say he's a stud. That's how she feels. She's like, that's my guy. Right there, you see him? He's awesome. Here he comes. I like this guy. He's a stud. Behold, there he stands behind our walls, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. I don't think he's trying to be a creeper. He's not like peeking in the window. I think he's actually holding on to like some social, some social boundaries here, right? He's going up to her house. She probably lives with her family, maybe her mother's house. She's going to talk about living in her mother's house later on in the book. Um, and he's coming up, and he's kind of maintaining his distance. He's not just coming in like a king and saying, you know what? You're coming with me. Let's go. He's not just sending in armed forces to pull her out and take her on a date with him, right? He's respecting his distance. He's walking up. He's outside. He's there. He's like, hey, I'm here. But I'm not going to just let myself into your house. I'm not going to just come sit down in your house and just demand that you take care of me. I'm going to, he comes up, he approaches, but he maintains kind of an appropriate distance. He's not, he's not forcing his way into the house. He's kind of respecting that he doesn't live there. He doesn't own that place. And he's kind of honoring those who live in the house by maintaining some level of distance. So no, I don't think he's creeper looking through the window like, is she in there? No, no. He's being respectful. He knows that they're still not in, in a place where they're married so they can be as intimate as they want to be. He, has to, he knows that there are still some boundaries between them. That's still worth recognizing. They really love each other. They really want to be together, but they recognize that there are still some areas where they have to maintain some distance while their relationship will not allow for that because God wants them to remain pure. And he seems to be excited to do that. Now, all of these quotes, these things that she's saying, that, that, that get said later on, she is saying, these are things that he has said to me, right? So she's quoting him. She's saying, my guy said these things to me. But it's almost as though she's telling, remember she had these, this group of people around her that were always kind of chant, you know, responding and saying, we like this guy, he's great, you're making great decisions. And she's kind of having this ongoing conversation with them. I think what she's doing here, she's saying, these are the things he said to me when he came to take me on our date, right? So, like, again, when I say, maybe, maybe practical advice, number four, guys, uh, anything that you say when you're in a relationship, imagine <laughs> that it is not as secret as you think it is. She's going to tell somebody. She's going to tell her friends. She might tell her mom. She's going to tell somebody, he said this, and then we did this, and then this happened, and this happened, right? So... Think about, think about what truth he's saying to her, what things he's saying to her. And he's saying things that are good for her to be repeating, right? The things that she's saying he's, he's, he's talking about with her are positives. So put yourself in a place, and this is true anywhere you go. Like, if you're worried that if what you say is going to get you in trouble, just don't say that thing, Right? Like, maintain your purity in the things that you say and the, th the actions that you take, knowing that none of it is secret. Like, there are no secrets anymore. Like, you sign up for an email account, somebody can access your email account. You download an app on your phone, somebody probably has access to the camera on your phone. Don't put yourself in a position where if somebody could activate that camera, you're going to be really embarrassed. She's telling everybody, these are the things he said to me. Make sure the things that you're saying are things that you want other people to know you've said. So my beloved speaks and says. Again, she's telling all her friends these things that he said. 
Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away with me. Again, he's reinforcing those areas where she felt weak, where she felt like she didn't necessarily measure up. Every time he's talking to her, he's building her up. I love you. You're beautiful. I love the way you look. You look good. Come with me. For behold, the winter is past and the rain is over and gone. And then he, and he kind of goes through and he describes this beautiful picture of springtime, right? When you think of springtime, flowers coming up, trees blooming and leaves coming back, right? Think of how dead winter tends to look, right? All of the trees are empty. Everything just kind of looks meh and gray. And then springtime comes and it's green and bright colors and all of this all over the place. There's like this new feeling of new life. You probably have a bird nest that gets planted on your front porch and the birds wake you up in the morning, those kinds of things. But seriously, like this picture of new life, he's saying, come away with me. Our, our relationship is like springtime. Like it's new, it's exciting. There's new life in it and I'm excited to kind of grow this new life with you. Right? This is the picture that he's describing. We're, 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 we're not in this dead, lifeless place. We're in this place of new life, excitement. And so he wants to get away with her. And he says, let's go on a date. Let's go spend some time. Um, let's go get away and find a place where we can just chill and chat and talk. That's the interesting thing here. Is he just wants to talk. Because what does he say? He says in verse 14, Oh, my dove. In the clefts of the rocks, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. He's saying he wants to get away somewhere kind of private. Let's get away, you know, somewhere where we're not distracted by anything else. It is so easy to get distracted right now with the internet, with our smartphones, right? Um, it is super easy to lose focus. It is super easy to, I mean, most of us in here aren't using our phones for our Bibles right now, but it's so tempting. If you have your Bible on your phone, you're sitting there scrolling, and that notification pops up, and you say, I'll just tap this real quick. Like, it doesn't take, like, the whole way our phones are structured, the way the internet is built is to distract us. It is to catch our, catch our gaze, to take our attention away from the thing that we're on and focus our attention on something that somebody else wants us to pay attention to. It's so easy for us to become distracted. And I, what, what, what our king is saying here is that I want to get away somewhere where we're not going to get distracted and we can actually talk, where we can focus and I'm not worried about losing sight of what my goal here is, which is to hang out with you, to spend time with you. That was probably one of the most important things to me when Tiff and I went on our cruise recently is that we actually, like, I, my term, okay, this is going to sound kind of ironic. My terms were, I want to go on a cruise, but if we're going to go, I want it to just be us because we need to be able to get away so that we can spend some time to just be together and talk and actually spend time without the distractions of the rest of life. And her terms were, that's fine, but I have to have internet so that I can chat with Ellie, which seems kind of counterintuitive. But it's a different thing. She's a, she's a mom. She's got to know that her kid's still alive, and I'm fine with that. But, but still, <clears throat> but still, I, it wasn't, the, even though we had access to it, like, we didn't really want to use it. Like, we wanted to use that as a time to get away and disconnect, unplug, and, and not be distracted. And I think that's what our king is saying here. He's saying, let's get away where we can focus on one another. 
because he has some really targeted and specific things that he wants to talk about. He wants to continue to build connection, to continue to build some level of intimacy in the relationship, maybe not, not, not physical intimacy, right, because they're not married and he knows what his boundaries are. We've already seen him kind of respecting that. But he has some really focused things that he wants to talk about, and that gets us to verse 15. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Go back to the agricultural references. Throughout the rest of the book, a lot of times when you see things like gardens and vineyards, that's talking about different forms of intimate places that people can go together. Sometimes they're going to be talking physical intimacy, and we're not to those chapters yet. What he's talking about here is kind of relational intimacy. I want, to, I want to work on some things in our relationship. I want to talk about some things between us that we need to have real conversations about. He wants to be proactive about dealing with the little things that creep into relationships, spread, and breed disunity. That's what he's saying when he says, catch the foxes for us. He's saying, I want to take an active role in addressing the little things between us that can divide us. The type of relationship he's trying to build, and again, I'm going to stick with the garden references. It reminds us of the Garden of Eden. This place of perfection that God made for the first man and the first woman, and he put them there so that they could share life. The garden in their relationship was perfect. There were no pests that crept into the garden. Their relationship did not have things in between them, which is why the Bible was quick to point out, and this is up on the screen, Genesis 2, 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is one of those verses that's influencing our series title. There was nothing. <laughs> it said Naked. <laughs> He's going to make sure, all right, write down the word naked in my notes. And then write Genesis 2.25 for context so that I don't get in trouble. (laughs) What it's pointing out in Genesis 2.25 and what our king is trying to get at right now is that I want there to be nothing between us that makes us ashamed and puts division between the two of us. The, perfect, the picture of perfection was Genesis 2.25. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was no sin present. There was nothing in between them. They could be naked and nothing. There was, they were completely exposed and there was nothing to be ashamed of. They didn't have issues with, what if he doesn't like the way I look? Or and he didn't have issues of, what if I'm not smart enough? Or what about my past? I've done this thing. Are they going to be embarrassed to be around me? Because I, there was none of that. They were in a place of perfection. Everything was as it should be. There was nothing to hide. There was no reason to be ashamed. And so our king here is saying, I want us to be that way. I don't want there to be anything in between us that's going to confuse our relationship, that's going to cause us to 
question one another. I, don't, I want to I put everything out in front of you that is true about me, that's true about my past, that's true about who I am. I want to I find out what things about me annoy you. and what things about, I want you to know what things about you sometimes can maybe irritate me so that we can, we can address them now, so that we can work through them, so that we don't have to worry about, about dealing with those things later on. If you've ever gone through uh, premarital uh, with me and Tiff, that's one of the things that we talk about the most when we go through premarital is like, let's talk about how to figure out what things you don't like and you're going to argue about now so that you can have that argument before you get married. Because if you just keep putting these things off or if you hide these things, what's going to happen is down the road they're going to build up and it's just going to blow up. So let's make sure that as we have things, we're, we're practicing dealing with the foxes. Instead of letting the foxes come in, because I would imagine that, that one fox comes in, has a litter of baby foxes, and then those foxes have litters of baby foxes. And if you don't get rid of the, the foxes in time, it's just going to overrun your whole garden. And everything is going to fall apart. So he's saying, I want to, I want to deal with these things right now. I want to practice addressing issues that I see in our relationship early so that we get rid of them, we deal with them before we ever get to the point where it's going to destroy our relationship. And so this is kind of one of those open-ended softball passages that sometimes the Bible throws at pastors and says, here's an open-ended verse where you can talk about, you can use that metaphor for just about anything. What are the little foxes that are present in your church? What are the little foxes that are present in your life? What are the little foxes that are present in your relationship with your spouse? Or, or maybe one other individual in the church or somebody that you deal with outside of the church, whatever it may be. And so it kind of throws us these and says, hey, here's a metaphor that you can use for just about anything you need to address. So I'm going to take that softball and I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus, for giving this to me. And we're going to talk. Because there's one, there's one fox that can creep into a church that I really want to talk about. Um, and one that I really think kind of ties in with that Garden of Eden passage that we're talking about where, where they didn't have anything in between them and they're trying to remove <clears throat> relational distractions and things that would come between and divide. Um, because as a church, I think we should strive for that same kind of unity um, <clears throat> and community. And it goes, it's like, so at CRC, we kind of sometimes go through phases, ups and downs, where sometimes it's really easy to feel really close and then maybe a couple people that you felt really close to will move, or a couple people that you feel really close to will go through something dark and, and, and hard. And sometimes you feel, oh yeah, we're great. Everything's great. We're really close. I feel really tight. But sometimes it's like, I feel really disconnected from a lot of people. And we can go through these phases where you feel like, I feel kind of alone, or I feel like we're all off doing our own thing in different places right now. <clears throat> Hence the reason I have you all sitting really close together today. Because <clears throat> sometimes we can be tempted when times get tough to retreat back into ourselves or into the safety of our own homes and kind of hide away and say, things are bad right now, I'm going to hide. Things are bad right now, I'm going to run away. Things are bad right now. Or, or I, have, I have this other group of people that I feel closer to. I'm going to take my problems there. And has been symptom. And I'm not saying this is 
true of many churches, but because this is the church that I'm around a lot, it's one that I, it, I, I see it present here, is that sometimes when times get tough, we hide from the church. Sometimes when bad things happen to us, um, we disconnect instead of leaning closer into the church, instead of, instead of coming to our community, what should be our community, and saying, my life's awful, or this thing's bad. I'm going through this really tough time, and I need you to know everything. I'm going to put this all out because I need you to help pray for me and support me and build me up and kind of help guide me through this difficult time. And I don't know if we don't do that some because... We don't, pretend, we don't put forth kind of the vibe that we love you enough that we want to do that for you, that we want to be there for you. Maybe we feel, maybe we feel too cold and you're like, I don't want to go just share all my troubles with those people. They don't seem very loving. And maybe that's on us. But at the same time, I know that there are people in this church that genuinely love the rest of the people in this church and genuinely want to have close, tight community with each and every one of you and want to be there for you when you are going through tough times and encourage you, no, don't, don't disappear. <clears throat> had a bad day, had bad news, had some family thing. Don't shy away, don't hide. Just, just say it. You're like, but I will become a blubbering mess and I will embarrass myself, right? Think back to the ideal relationship. They were naked and they were unashamed. I'm not saying the only way that you can share community with one another is if we all start taking off our clothes. That is not the practical application <laughs> for that passage. That is, that is wrong. I want to say that clearly now. There will be no nudity. <laughs> Write that down, will you? Like, it's a metaphor. If you need help spelling metaphor, Caleb will help. You got it. But it should be that there is no shame in being completely open and exposed within the church. No nudity. Perfect. We should not be afraid to express everything, even the dark, twisty parts of who we are and the things that we're going through. That's what we're being called to. Here, here's, here's, the, here's the New Testament version of that ideal. In fact, when, so I think our church was maybe a month and a half old when I preached through this. This is Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And this is the way I preached it then, and I still believe that, I, that, that it applies here. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Here we go. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending... Let me read that again. And day by day... I'll read it one more time. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's what the church is supposed to look like. The church is supposed to look like a bunch of people who are not a bunch of kind of 
close to each other, like, like near one another, kind of spread throughout a room with lots of gaps in between them. The church is supposed to look like a bunch of people who are like, I got issues. I feel a little uncomfortable. Oh man, I forgot to wear deodorant today, but that's okay. I'm going to sit next to somebody because I want to be really close with the rest of my friends. Talk to wearing deodorant? Yeah. Good. The ideal is it's people who are sharing all of life together, including the troubling parts, including the things that are sometimes tough. It's, it's people who, when they go through something bad, they have a family, family drama, or they have some sort of sin that somebody sins against them, or they've sinned. They found themselves to be trapped inside some sort of, in some sort of difficult place. Instead of running and hiding, instead of staying separate, instead of staying divided, instead of, instead of keeping like a two-seat buffer on either side so that nobody can really get all that close to me, we let people in. We let people close. We lean in cl- closer. We lean in tighter. We put our arms around one another and we say, we're in this together. I'm going to go through this with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to continue to point you back toward Jesus. I'm going to continue to say, he's the one who's able to take care of this. He's the one who is able to save you. He's the one who's done all of that work already. Remember at the beginning how much he wanted to be with her and how excited she was that he was coming to visit? She loves that he wants that level of intimacy and purity. And, she, and, and the fact that he's being proactive in addressing the issues that they have now before they're married is even more important. She loves that he has that youthful spirit. I'm going to read that last, the last couple of verses. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Verse 17, until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Like, she wants to hang out all night till the sun rises. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft of the mountains. It's not subtle. I want to be with you is what she's saying. I want to be with you all night. I know we can't now. But, but as, you're, as she's seeing him lead their relationship, he is, he is leading them toward purity. He is leading them toward righteousness. He's leading them toward, in our case, Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be encouraging each other. Don't shy away from the bad things. Don't don't shy away from talking about the things that are issues, the things that are frustrating, the things that sometimes frustrate you. Lean in. Don't go and hide. Be together. Be unified. This is going to be a challenge for some of you more than others. Some of you are like, I got nothing to hide. I'm not ashamed. Or some of you are like, I've done a lot of bad stuff, but I'm not afraid to tell you about it. Some of us are like, I don't really want to talk about this. I don't really want to share this. Or man, they're going to think this about me if I say this. I would encourage all of you. And this is, this is, this is a great time for, for community groups. This is a great time for our guys and girls groups, any, any opportunity you can have to have small groups, this is a great time just to grab somebody. I don't, I don't, anybody. Be like, I need to talk about this. I'm having this issue. Can you encourage me that Jesus has got this? And I would hope that the rest of us would be loving and willing enough to do that. 
Like, don't put somebody off. Don't say, yeah, we can totally get together sometime in the future. I got to go. Like, let's be the kind of people who actually love one another enough that we want to be there for one another always and fight through difficult times together always. And I'm not just saying this to you guys. I'm saying this to me, too. As one who I'm pretty extroverted, but at the same time, I don't like, like, one-on-one conversations, especially uncomfortable ones. Like, I'm bad at those. I don't like to go up and talk to people I don't know. I don't like to introduce myself if I see somebody that I've met once before. It's just not, like, I, can, I would much rather stand up here and talk to all of you guys than see you across a room at the, at the mall or something and say, I'm going to go over and say hello to this person because I know them. So this is for me too. It's also for me in the sense that I don't like to talk about the things that are weaknesses to me. I don't like to talk about the things that are bad in my life, the, the sin that's present in my life. Nobody, nobody loves that idea. I'm going to go talk about all the things that are disappointing to the people that I'm going to go talk to. That doesn't sound like fun. But what we're learning from our king is that it's better to proactively go and deal with those things now and, and, try, and try to work toward that ideal relationship like we saw in Genesis 2 where you can be completely exposed, there's nothing between us, just like there are no chairs in between you this morning. There is nothing to hide from one another. If you smell bad, they know. They already know. It's already out there. So there's no reason to worry about it anymore. You're close. We're tight. This is the way that I want us to feel. Uh, I'm using the way I have you all sitting as a metaphor. But I want this to be what it feels like to be a part of the church. Where we so love each other and we're so for one another that we just want to be together. Right? Think back to the Acts 2. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Day by day, attending temple together. Breaking bread in their homes. They're sharing life together. They're being, they're being an actual body. That's what I want to see for us as a church. I want us to, to want that level of connection. I want us to have that level of Shamelessness, I guess, is the word I'm looking for, where we're not afraid to talk about things because we trust one another and we trust that each other loves us and wants to, wants to be for us and point us back to Jesus. Yeah. Liberated worship, according to Song of Solomon. We haven't gotten to the worship part so much yet, but, but when you get to the, the naked part the exposed part, the part where you have nothing left to hide. That's where the liberation, the freedom begins to come from because you have nothing holding you back, nothing to be afraid of anymore. That's what we're working toward, and that's what I want us to be working toward building up in the relationships that we have with one another in the church. Let's pray.